Good morning. Good morning. It's great to see you guys, and just so thankful to have a family we can worship like that. I could worship all day. It's just something, I just love getting lost in worship, and so I really appreciate that. This morning, we're going to be in John 15. If you brought your Bibles with you, you can pop that open, or if you're on your phone, put it in airplane mode. That way you don't get text, but you can still look at your Bible. That's a good idea. Youth, Bailey, we might be able to use that next time in youth. I like that idea. That just came out of me. But we're going to be in John 15. Hey, I've got this um, kind of reoccurring theme that's going to go throughout the message today. Um, One of them is a story. I'm going to start with a story. Uh, My whole life, uh, actually 27 years of my 38 years probably. um, Is that right? I'm 38? Okay, I think I'm 38, babe. Um, Anyways, 27 years of my life, I have repeated this one thing, that I'm afraid of dogs that I don't like dogs, that I'm not an animal lover, that I, I just don't like dogs and cats and, and all my animal lovers. Go ahead and get it out right now. Say, oh, there you go. Exactly. I'm being sanctified, I promise. But, but here's the thing. I've repeated this for almost three decades now, that I just don't like animals. I don't, I just don't, I don't like, I don't want one. I never really had one. And, but the truth is, as I was digging in for this message, this silly story keeps just kind of kept coming to my mind and, and some recent experiences my wife and I have had that, that really made me think about like, huh, I wonder if maybe we could get a dog one day. And I, you know, and I started bringing this up, but I had always told her one, one rule of our marriage is that we'll never have animals in the house. I don't like dogs and I don't get along with them. But all of a sudden I, I get this like almost a, a warm feeling inside of me and it's not gas, I checked. But uh, when I see dogs and I had to like check my temperature to make sure that like what is going on with me and dogs all of a sudden. And the truth is when I was little, I had terrible Two terrible experiences with dogs. One, I remember my sister getting bit in the face by a dog and it being a traumatic, scar-leaving type of experience. And another one, somebody uh, gave us a dog for Christmas that had previously belonged to Satan. And so I learned that dogs are terrible. And so it was a Dalmatian. If you've ever owned a Dalmatian, I will pray for you. But I, I had two terrible experiences in my life with dogs. And therefore, for the rest of my life, what did I do? I don't like dogs. I don't like dogs. No kids, you can't have dogs. No wife, you can't have dogs. No, I don't like dogs. I don't want to stay with dogs. I don't want to pet dogs. I don't have an emotional response with dogs. But it was because of a, a, a singular time or two, bad of, like a bad experience that's happened. And then I repeat this mantra for the rest of my life that all of a sudden I don't like dogs. There's not space available for me to like dogs. So this is what I want you to think about today, and I'll have a few questions that we'll repeat, but how much does what happens to you affect who you are? How many thousands of cute and wonderful and innocent dogs have I totally blocked out of my life from petting and loving and owning and whatever because of two bad dogs? How much does what happens to you affect who you are? See, I didn't even notice for three decades that that had affected me so severely. I just thought that I genuinely didn't like dogs, and now I actually want a dog. Not a Dalmatian, though. They're from the devil. I told you that. Remember. (laughs) Here's my two questions today, and I'm going to repeat them two or three times, and they'll be up on on the slide here. Number one, what does God want you to notice today? 
What does God want you to notice today? What is it that's going on in your life? What are the things that maybe he's been bringing up to the surface? What are the circumstances or situations or relationships in your life? What are the tension points? Most of the time you can lean into tension points in your life. Where is it that tension exists? A lot of times that's where God's trying to get you to notice something. Second question that I will have today is do you see people the way that Jesus sees them? I think, um, yeah, I think that's a tough question. Going back to my dog story, just to give a silly example, I didn't see dogs even for who they were because of two bad dogs. And so how much easier is it for us as people to have scar tissues that lay inside of our hearts and causes us to not see people the way that Jesus sees them? So easy. And we're all so easily can fall into that trap depending on what happens to us. You see, uh, in John 15, if you're there, we're going to throw up verses 1 through 4 together. And it's talking about the vine. And if you ever, you know, really um, dig into the way that Jesus teaches a lot of times, it's always in parables and word pictures and, and like this earthly, worldly story that has like this deep spiritual meaning. But in John 15, in, that first, uh, in the first verse, it says, I am the true grapevine. This translation is the NLT. Some others just say vine, vine, you know, there's other kind of words, but it all basically is the same theme that, that I am the true grapevine. That vine historically throughout the Old Testament has always been connected to and kind of referenced as Israel is the true vine, that they're the, the true chosen ones of God. And so for Jesus to come and say in this sentence, in this verse, that I am the true grapevine, it's really pointing out not only did Israel, the chosen ones, turn their back and become idol, you know, idolatry and, and adulterous, that, they, that they, they, they did not fulfill their covenant with God, that, that he is letting them know that he is the actual true grapevine and that my father is the gardener. You see that grapevine represents the goodness of God. That I am is a repeated theme throughout scripture that, that he is, I am that I am. It's from the Old Testament to Jesus proclaiming his divinity as the son of God that, that he is letting us know that I am the true grapevine. I am the goodness of God. And my father is the gardener. He cuts off every branch of mine that doesn't produce fruit. And he prunes the the branches that do bear fruit so they will produce even more. You have already been pruned and purified by the message I have given you. Verse four, remain in me and I will remain in you for a branch cannot produce fruit if it is severed from the vine and you cannot be fruitful unless you remain in me. Amen. See, my prayer today is that you notice something about your life. That this text, it brings up something uh, inside of your heart, inside of your, your pattern of living that, that the Lord wants to bring to the surface and either heal you of or repair through or to get you to work through if you're grieving or going through a hard time. That, that somehow that these things that, that God is wanting you to notice today can be brought to the surface and, and given to him to take control of. You see, we see this uh, 
in the scripture here, it's kind of two different themes. Number one, that he cuts off some branches and then he prunes others. What's the difference? That somehow the ones that he cuts off, he completely removes from the trunk. Not only because they're fruitless, but because they infect the rest of the tree. That somehow there are these branches that are connected to the vine, to Christ, that are fruitless. You see, he's talking to believers, he's talking to disciples here that, that somehow there are these believers that think they are connected, but somehow they're fruitless. The second one is, which I pray is most of us here, is the one that he cuts back. He prunes. You see, pruning is uh, it's a reward. It enhances, it enhances our spiritual growth. A lot of times God needs to remove things in your life in order to continue to get fruit out of your life. And that's never easy and comfortable to do. You see, we notice this throughout scripture that often these pruning seasons are character and faith building seasons. That, that the Lord uses these times and seasons to, to allow us to see things differently and to allow him to have access to certain parts of our heart. You see, there's two promises throughout John that talks about a faithful and fruitful Christian. John 15, 7 is one of them. You see, this fruitful Christian is the difference between the ones who are pruned, but also the ones who are cut back, removed from the vine. So it's pretty critical that you and I understand what a fruitful Christian looks like. That's what we see in John 15, 7 here. In John 15, 7, it says, but if you remain in me, everybody say remain. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, you may ask for anything you want and it will be granted. Remain. You see, remain is one of these verbs. It's, an, it's like an active word. And so it says, if you remain in me and I remain in you, but if you remain in me, my words remain in you. My words remain in you. You may ask for anything you want and it'll be granted that, that somehow that answered prayer is evidence of a fruitful believer. And so... The difference of that would be a prayerless Christian is evidence of a non-fruitful believer. Somebody who's not drawn to prayer, somebody who does not experience this asking for anything you want and it will be granted that, that I've heard it expressed one way this week when I was listening to some commentary that, that if, if, if we were to cut you open spiritually at the end of your life and look on the inside of you, would we see that his word was put in more than the things of this world? When he says that my word remained in you, was it something that, that is downloaded and put on the inside of you? Are, you? are you taking this word and eating it and devouring it daily? Is it one of those things that you remain in when times are hard? The second promise that we see in scripture is this, John 15, 11. And he said, I have told you these things so that you will be filled with my joy. Joy. Yes, your joy will overflow. The second promise of a fruitful believer is joy. You ever met somebody who is a, 
and we do in church all the time, meet people like this, and I've been one, but that it's just filled with manufactured joy. You know, they're almost too over the top and you know that it's maybe not authentic and that you just wish you could really get down to like below the surface on what's really going on. You know, we teach people to fake it till you make it, to to put on this like behavior modification system that if enough people believe it about you, it'll eventually just be true. But see, the scriptures say that I have told you these things that you would be filled with my joy. Yes, your joy would overflow. That joy is the evidence of a fruitful believer. You see, when you look at... uh, you can ask for anything you want, and you'll have these answered prayers, and that, that, that uh, answered prayers and joy are the fruit, the evidences of a fruitful Christian. These are the promises that we see in John. Let me ask you this question again that we opened up with. What causes us to stop seeing people the way that Jesus sees them? I'd like you to bow your head for a minute, and let's just think on that together. Let's just take a pause break. Lord, if you're trying to get us to notice something today, what is it? As our eyes are closed and as Pastor Kirk so wonderfully did, it's not about how we do, Lord. It's not about what people think. It's about what you think, Lord. What is that today that you are thinking about us? What is it that you want us to notice, Lord? Is there any pain or trauma in our past, in my heart? Is there any scar tissues in my mind that keeps me from allowing myself to see people the way that you do, Lord? I ask you that you reveal that today, Lord, that you continue to expose that in our hearts and minds. In the name of Jesus, everybody said, So what does cause us to stop seeing people the way that Jesus sees them? Pain? Trauma? My dog story? I can't see dogs clearly because of two bad dogs. And we we don't allow ourselves to be put in a position for that to be revealed in us. Instead, we come up with defense mechanisms. We would come up with our our own type of uh, defense system to keep people at arm's distance away from where that wound is to not let people into that same place. I I won't let that happen to me again. And then our life becomes these statements and it becomes these, these, these behavior modifications just to protect us rather than reflect Jesus. You see, we see this in Matthew 7 as well that that there is such a connection between pain and what it does to the heart of a believer and keeps them from seeing people as Jesus sees them. But it's, it's this, when we leave unhealed trauma and pain in our heart, it causes our spiritual vision to not be clear. You see, in Matthew 7, again, talking to believers... Matthew 7, 3 and uh, 4, it says this, and, and why worry about a speck in your friend's eye when you have a log in your own? Verse 4 says, how can you think of saying to your friend, let me help you get rid of that speck in your eye when you can't see past the log in your own eye? Can I just tell you how guilty I am of this sometimes? 
I go into supersonic mode and I can see what's wrong with anybody and everybody. Right? Like, I, I got like, the Lord gave me extra discernment or something? No, dummy, you're just not being honest with yourself. Anytime I see what's wrong with everybody else before I can see in the mirror clearly, we know we have a Matthew 7 going on in Brandon's life. That there's somehow this unchecked pain and trauma that's going on in my own heart. There's this own shortcoming in my personality or I'm, I'm, not, I'm, I'm, I'm unable to move past a thought or, a, or an opinion or a situation. And, and then I start only hyper fixating on what's wrong with other people but not seeing the log in my own eye. You see, a wounded heart sees people at their worst rather than their potential best. You're able to discern and see what's wrong with people before you're able to see how Jesus created them to potentially be one day. That that we are called to see people as Jesus sees them, not where they're currently at. That when we allow ourselves to let go of what people have done to us or what the world has done to us, the scar tissues, the things that you've been through, when people see you living that way, they'll want what you have. Oh, anybody, airplane mode (laughs) on the phone. Yeah, anybody gotten in trouble with that on, on an airplane? Where's my where's Pat at? I need Pat to bail me out. Thank you. One honest person in here. <laughs> All right. I, I know it's not real biblical of me, but I struggle with following that rule for some reason. I struggle with wanting to put my phone in airplane mode, even though I know I'm not going to get any text anyway. I'm not going to be able to get any internet anyway. I just don't want to be told to put my phone on airplane mode when I know it doesn't jam your signals on this multi-million dollar aircraft. Okay. Anyways, one day I was rebelling and resisting in this uh, rule. Okay. So not only is the stewardess going around and she's checking belts, but it just so happens that she walked by, told me to put my belt on. I didn't do airplane mode, so I wasn't listening to that rule today. And so she walks back by, and guess what happens? Because I didn't buckle my belt. She leans in, and then right then my phone starts going off. And so you would have thought that I was like plotting 9-11 or something the way that she treated me. She was very unhappy that my belt wasn't on, the airplane mode wasn't on. And, and so airplane mode, it keeps your phone from getting signal and sending signal. Okay, you can't receive or send text messages. And what's interesting about that story, um, you see, our brains are wired very similar to airplane mode for phones. When our brain has active pain and trauma inside of our emotional realm, when it has active pain and trauma inside of our heart, our brain stops sending and receiving signals openly. You stop allowing a healthy heart to dominate your thinking process. Then it's a damaged heart, a damaged emotional realm causes your brain to turn off and be in airplane mode where you're not sending and receiving signals the right way. John 15, 12. We talk about revival today and I have a cousin in Missouri who's a youth pastor and I don't know, they had 100 kids or something at their youth service and And for four hours after church, they just stayed in worship and cried. And yeah, it was just, revival's breaking out there and it's just crazy. And he had 
2,000 shares on his Facebook post over this single youth service. And it was just, it went viral. This amazing revival is breaking out. You see, I think revival breaks out when the church loves each other differently than the world wants what we have. You see, we, we do a lot of outward focusing a lot of times. Like, we got to love people right. We got to make it. We got to go reach the communities. And I believe that. But I think that that happens out of the overflow of our love being unique. That people are drawn to a unique love together. And that's what we see in John 15 here. It says, this is my commandment. He's saying, love each other. He's saying, love the believers. That our bonds, our relationships, that our love would draw in a lost world to want what we have because it's not out there. But when this looks the same as out there, when we operate in the same scar tissue and, and airplane mode in our brains and we don't let people in just like they don't let people in and we don't trust people like they don't trust people, we don't do those things. That's what the, that is what is going to keep the world separated from the church. And so Jesus says that this is my commandment, that, that we are to love each other in the same way that I have loved you. There's no greater love than to lay down one's life for one's friends. See, I'm not even, I'm not even mentioning like Matthew 5.44 where he tells us to start loving our enemies. I'm talking about loving each other in this room. I'm talking about like laying my life down to be there in your space with you. But I'm so busy. I got so much going on. And I tell myself all these stories and all these things that are, they're, they're pretty real. They do exist. But Jesus is calling us to love our friends, the body of believers, the chosen ones, the same way that he's loved us. I can't tell you that answer, but the, I think the Dalmatian's here. <laughs> that would be my luck, wouldn't it? <laughs> oh, man. At least I'm a goofball. If you didn't get nothing else today, at least you got that. <sighs> Here's our questions again. Think about this. What does God want you to notice today? What does he want you to notice today about you, yourself? <laughs> These sermons, sometimes, you ever get that person that comes up to you? Pastor Kurt, I know he does. I got to get this sermon to my husband. <laughs> you know what I'm talking about? <laughs> they always notice and everybody else needs what, they, what was said today. <laughs> you might be setting yourself up. What does God want you to notice today? What does God want you to notice today? The second question is, do you see people the way that Jesus sees them? Josiah, I'll invite you guys back up. I'm going to go into a time of worship as I'm going to try to wind this down and make sure the Dalmatian don't come in here. <laughs> 27 years I told that, that same story about the dogs, that I didn't like dogs. Never once questioned it. You know, uh, through my struggles in leadership even, and maybe father wounds, having an absent father, bad relationships, product of divorce, betrayed, 
all the things that we've gone through, we've gone through, can either make you better or they make you worse. But in order to take that and use it for God's glory, you've got to choose to pick it up and give it back to him. You've got to lift it up and say, God, I can't carry this anymore. I can't carry this anymore. And so we're going to close on this verse here, Matthew 11:30, And everybody can go ahead and stand up for me, please. Matthew 11.30 says this. He says, for my yoke is easy to bear and the burden I give you is light. I got a picture of these, what this actually is in case you don't know what a yoke is. A couple ox, they can, the wood on top of their necks is, is the yoke. It's the work. It's what we're called to do. You see, Jesus is saying that his yoke is easy to bear. That the burden he gives us is light. This heavy wooden harness, it fits over their shoulders and they just keep working. But somehow Jesus says that the the, the weight on our shoulders, the responsibility of who you are and the platform you have in life, that somehow when it's in, when it's in Jesus' hands, that that burden is light. See, the problem is not what we're carrying most of the time, it's how we're carrying it. Sometimes we stop letting the, the weight of our work rest on Jesus' shoulders. And so it's robbed the joy out of our life of being a believer. It's robbed our desire to be in deep, intimate prayer. Just bow our heads one more time and I'll, we'll just go into worship. And Father, right now, I pray right now, Lord, that if there's anybody at the sound of my voice, that this morning, Father, that they're tired of carrying around that scar tissue. They're tired of not allowing them to see people as you see them, Lord. That somehow during this worship time, God, that they would be able to just release that pain and release that space back to you. That if it be at these altars or if it be in their seat, God, that, that you would just free them to have some worship this morning, Father. We thank you for your word, Lord. We thank you that your, that your burden is light. And that's what you have for us, Father. That we would have a unique love for each other and that our burdens would be light. In the name of Jesus, I just invite you into worship.